with confidence, with confidence we now draw nigh. We don't have to sneak into God's presence anymore. That's awesome. Well, good morning. I'm so glad the intrepid are here. You brought your mucklucks and galoshes and uh, arrived safely. And for those that are watching at home, I understand I was tempted to not come myself even though I was preaching. <laughs> but I knew what I not only needed to do, but I wanted to do because I'm glad to be here with you. Well, peace. The title of this message is Jesus is the only source of real peace. Peace, what is that? Um, Merriam-Webster says it's a state of tranquility or quiet, being at rest, freedom from disturbance or hostilities, freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotions, harmony in personal relationships. Well, these are close. Uh, Jesus also used the word as a command, if you remember. When he quieted the winds and waves, he said, Peace, be still, be calm, be at rest. So is that our state? Well, I think most of us kind of think what peace is. We can maybe define it, but we sure know when we don't have it. We sure know when we don't have it. In our culture today, we hear a lot about finding peace, inner peace. Um, the world's wisdom says we need to do more deep breathing. We need to maybe do some chanting, some meditation. Um, our peace today seems to be very fragile. Uh, it's often destroyed in an instant by some unwanted action or maybe even internal self-doubt. A 2017 Gallup poll told us that over 60% of all U.S. American adults were stressed and worried every day. They lacked peace. That's two out of three, really. So what are people supposed to do with stress and worry? Uh, we know that there will be folks sitting at bar stools around the globe today uh, trying to forget or drown sorrows or hurts or rejections or pains. Uh, maybe they'll even find a a bartender that will care enough to listen and maybe give them some good advice. Um, see, many people are not able to face their worlds of pain without some other external thing. Maybe it's sex, maybe it's drugs, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's something else. But we're trying everything, aren't we? The world is filled with hurting and lonely people and worried people. Absolutely no peace. Peace with themselves, peace with others, or peace with God. No amount of deep breathing or chanting can give them that peace. But can you relate? Can you remember what it was like to have worry and hurt and pain but no peace? Or maybe you're here today or listening today and you said, I still have hurt, pain, and worry. I don't have peace. Well, today's message is for you. It's, it's funny that a peace that uh, stems from our relationship with God can make us friends and not enemies to God. It's a peace that won't be destroyed by the storms of life, but can endure through and carry us through the storms of life. In our passage today, Jesus will give us hope and tell us that having real peace is possible and that he, 
And nothing in the world can grant us that peace. So in our passage today, and, and we find, um, turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 16. Let's read. If nothing else I get right today, this will be right. Beginning at verse 25, John chapter 16. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. And that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. And his disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. So in our passage today, we see that Jesus concludes his final time, his final moments, his final hours, his final statements to his disciples before the cross. And he ends with this almost a victorious cheer that simply rings with victory. Like Babe Ruth, he's pointing to the stands. He's pointing to where the ball is going to land after he hits his home run. He hasn't died yet. He hasn't gone to the cross, but he says, I have overcome. He's already pointed out the win. Be of good courage. People are looking for peace everywhere, not necessarily finding it. And if you've ever been disappointed in your search for peace that your soul really wants, this is what you need to hear. From our text this morning, I would like to share with you, though, three great enemies of our peace and how Jesus has conquered them all. One, thinking there are not sufficient resources available to me to meet my needs. Two, thinking we are in it all alone. And three, thinking that adversity or the storms of life will destroy our peace. So the first enemy of our peace is thinking there are not sufficient resources available to me. Well, today you might be thinking, well, right, there's probably not a person or resource in the world that's big enough to meet or just to respond to all of my needs. Um, at least they're not available to me, are they? For example, you might be thinking, I need healing in my relationships. I need the courage and strength just to make it one more day. I need wisdom for life choices. I'm in financial distress. I need help. I need the chains of addiction broken. I need hope. 
Is there any help for that? Is there any help for me? Where can I go to get these deepest needs of my life met? Is there even such a person or resource like that? The answer is absolutely yes. Let's dive in and read verse 26 and 27 and see what God's Word says, what hope and help is available and why. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. What's he saying here? We see something absolutely remarkable. Jesus, the Son of God, tells us that he, his person and his name, has become our guarantee for access to the best help and the source of the most unlimited resources in the universe. God the Father. And certainly I'd hope you would agree with me that God indeed has the power to help you today. To this statement you might say, sure, uh, but uh, maybe is he willing? Yes, he stands willing. Jesus says, absolutely. Because of the cross, because of the payment Jesus made on our behalf, that access has been opened to the Father forever. Now, why is this different? Well, remember with me, to the disciples, this would have been totally, I mean, amazing, astounding, and maybe hard to believe. For their entire lives and for generations, the Jewish people knew that their only access to God came through the high priest entering through the veil in the temple into the Holy of Holies once a year to make atonement for sin. And in fact, if they didn't do it according to God's regulations, they would be killed. And so the priests would often put bells on their robes and a rope around their body in case, not for the priest himself, but for the people outside, because if they didn't hear the bells anymore, you still in there, Joseph? They could pull out the body without going inside and risking their own death. This is the God that now Jesus is saying is approachable directly. This is incredible. They could probably hardly believe that. Wait a minute, wait a minute. But you have to understand that this is not just for them. It's for us. Jesus says, we have a new way to access God now. It's through Jesus. And we can go directly through a new and living way. See, in fact, we're not just folks who get to go in the back door. According to Romans 8, he says that, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. Wait a minute. Um, See, his death and resurrection made a way for us to call this unapproachable God, Daddy? Doesn't that sound a little irreverent? Jesus said, no, this is a term of endearment, of affection, of intimacy. This is a term of privilege of a child, which you are if you know Jesus. So Jesus even taught his disciples. How did he teach them to pray? What was the first thing he said? Father, our Father, which art in heaven. That's what he told his disciples to pray. What did Jesus say himself when he was in the garden and he was struggling and he felt the weight of Calvary coming on him. He said, Abba, Father, 
All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. He cried out, Daddy, help me. That's the same privilege he's giving each one of us who know Christ. Each one of us can call out, Daddy, Papa, I need your help. We also have to understand that Jesus made it clear that we will make these appeals directly and not being relayed by Jesus. He says, you're not going to be praying to me and I'm going to tell the Father. That stops. I am not the prayer relay man. You have direct access. In fact, all relay men are obsolete now. There is no pastor, no priest, no earthly person that ever stands between you and our Heavenly Father. You are direct accessible. And by the way, it's 24-7. You don't have to wait to get to church to pray. But I wonder if some of us, even though we've been given this wonderful privilege and access to all the resources of heaven, are still not asking God through prayer for what we need. Is that possible? Let's picture with me a person gets walked up to by some very wealthy man and says, here is an unlimited charge card, credit card. Spend it any way you want. Charge anything you want at any time. It is unlimited. And you look at that and you go, wow, that is wonderful. And you put it in your wallet. And then others later hear you complaining that I don't have groceries, I don't have food, I don't have clothes for my children. Wouldn't they think you were insane? That card does no one any good unless it's used. This access to our Heavenly Father does no one any good unless it's used. Do you understand? If you don't ask for it, you may not have it. Jesus told us that. Well, Wait a minute now. Let's just think about this. If he's given us access anytime to the wisest, most amazing, most powerful, most loving person in the universe, the path is open, but we don't use it, what does that make us? I won't say. But it's not wise, I can tell you that. But he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer... Supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what will happen? The anxiety of God will come upon you. The peace of God. Whose peace? God's peace. You actually get more peace by praying. If you don't have peace, maybe it's because you're not praying. And you're worried about what you don't have. Or what you can't fix. Or what you can't remedy. So we don't need to let worry or anxiety take over our lives. But it says also in verse 26, we need to approach how. It says we're supposed to approach in Jesus' name. Now we have to understand, biblically, names are more than just identification. It's not just Sam or Bill. Names had authority. Names had character. Names had power. If you recall, when Jesus was in the garden and the Roman soldiers came up, And they were coming to arrest him. And Jesus says, whom do you seek? And they said, we're looking for this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. And he used his name, the name of Almighty God. And he says, I am he. And what happened? The men fell down to the ground like dead. What happened? 
the name of Jesus has power. Every knee will bow at the name of Jesus one day. This name has power. And he says, when you come in my name, you come in my character. You come with my authority. You come because of the path I open for you. That's coming in Jesus' name. It's not tacking on in Jesus' name to whatever you say to God. Do you think that makes you heard by God in Jesus' name? No, it's not a rabbit's foot. It's not a magical phrase. This is an access that Jesus has described comes only because of him. And when we come in Jesus' name, we come on his recommendation. It's almost like saying, God, Jesus sent me. Why are you here? I don't deserve to be here, but Jesus sent me. And he says, welcome. Welcome. Now, here's the next thing we have to see. Um, the Father, why does he extend this welcome? Just because Jesus said, come? Well, yes and no. In verse 27, it says why. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. Wait a minute. See, he loves us simply, not because of all the works we did, not of all of our piety, because we love Jesus. Now, what does that really mean? Well, to love Jesus is not just having affection for, admiration, fondness, respect. No, it really means that it's demonstrated by we believe him. We follow him. We even obey him. What did Jesus tell us just a couple weeks ago? If you love me, you will obey me. Do you know there's another phrase here that I would like to just pick up. It's not in my notes, so forgive me. But one other way we can show we love Jesus is by loving one another. You know, according to Matthew 25, he told the people there that they got their rewards. We never saw you blind, naked, needing clothes, needing food. Why are you rewarding us? He said, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers... You did it unto me. When we do not love one another, we are not loving Jesus. So when we need to be careful. I need to be careful. Whenever I want to be short with somebody in this room who knows Jesus, I'm basically being short with Jesus. You get it? When I'm rude to somebody in this room, I'm being rude to Jesus. Well, I could tell him I love him all day long, but I don't think that matches being rude to him. And I've been rude to my wife, have I not? Yes, I have. If she was sitting here, she'd say yes. <laughs> but that doesn't mean I don't love her, but that there are times when I will fail, and I need to seek forgiveness. But we need to know that we, the way we treat one another is just as important to what we say we love about Jesus. Well, let's keep going. That's not on my note. I think many of us have experienced this, though, in life. Um, when somebody is good, is kind, loves on one of your children in a special way, it's almost like, wow, it gets right to your heart. The kids might not appreciate it that much, but man, you really do. Right? It's almost a soft spot. I love that guy because he's kind to my children. This is the same thing that God does. In fact, there's a story from U.S. history. Um, a 
president named Abraham Lincoln had just gone into office and within a year his uh, third of four sons died and he had a special bond more now for his fourth son Thomas which he named Tad. He said it was Tad because he said he had a head like a tadpole. It wasn't very complimentary but he loved the boy. But he loved him so much he told all of his staffers all the office people in the White House, I want you to know something. This boy of mine can come see me anytime he wants, day or night. It does not matter who I'm with. I could be with a king, a president, a cabinet member. I don't care what I'm doing. I don't care what time it is. If my boy needs to see me, you must get him in here. And there was no, no forgiveness for those that wouldn't let him in. Now, why did he do that? Because the boy earned it because the boy had station, the boy had wealth, the boy had power. No, it's because the dad loved the boy. See, I felt this kind of love in a little different way. My dad loved a lot of people. He was a, just a godly guy. I miss him. But I'll tell you what, he had a special place in his heart for my wife. And I, I, he, he was really, just, she had his heart. And you know why? Because he knew she loved his son. Amen. What gained her access with my dad's heart? Her great personality, looks, and witty conversation? No, because she loved me, Amen. my dad's son. He would do anything for her. Do you think God's any different? When we love on his son, do you think God ignores that? It doesn't touch his heart? Oh no, he gets it. Well, see, there's another thing too, though. The father really knows what you think about his son. And anyone who truly loves his beloved son, the father will have a special place. As if, and when you cry out, I have to tell you, if Tad cried out, if my wife would call out to my dad, if you cry out to God, he stills heaven. He says, quiet! And he leans in. He says, my son... The person who loves my son is talking. Amen. I have a soft spot in my heart and I will listen to whatever they say. I need to meet that one's needs. This is what we're here talking about. This is the God we serve. This is the God who listens to us. We're not afraid of this. It says, that's why it says, with confidence we now draw nigh. Not because of us, because of Jesus. Amen. We'll never be good enough to be in front of God on our own, but we're always good enough covered in the blood of Jesus. Amen. Well, I just want you to know no worries anymore about what you don't have. Your resources aren't enough. You don't have access to someone who will help you. Because in Jesus we have accesses to the riches of heaven 24-7 and that it's guaranteed by Jesus. Second enemy of our peace is thinking we're in it alone. Anybody ever been alone? Feel lonely? Maybe you're feeling lonely today. No one cares. I'm all by myself. I believe all of us have experienced those feelings uh, at some point. But, you know, being lonely and being alone don't always go together. Did you know that? There are some people I know that have been all alone, never felt lonely. And there are some people that could be here, maybe even today in church. You're in a crowd and you're still lonely. You're not sure if anybody 
cares? Are we in it all alone? See, loneliness can bring on fears, worries that affect our peace and contentment. I want to share from our passage today the hope that we have in a Savior that will meet us even in our alone times. In verses 31 and 32, let's read, Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. Well, I'm going to stop there. See, in this passage, we see a dialogue between Jesus and his disciples that ends with Jesus' statement that implies, okay, guys, I just saw that. Do you now believe? Okay, I think we should read this. Okay, I know you believe right now. I know you think you believe right now, but a time is coming, and it's now here. It means it's right at your door, and you're going to scatter, and you're going you're to fail, guys. Your faith is weak. You think you're hot stuff right at the moment, but you won't make it through the night without failing big time. But what has happens here? He says uh, he shared an important truth with them, that even though they might scatter and leave him, God is faithful, and he would never abandon Jesus. See, the Father would be with him and not leave him, but I think it's interesting to see something. Does Jesus get angry at them for telling them they're going to wash out? Does it seem that way? I don't think so. Did he scold them? Did he write them off? No, he gave them one more promise. He told them, by the way, you're going to fail, but my biggest promise is yet to come. You're going to fail me. You're going to leave me all alone. You're going to scatter. You're going to bail. But I'm going to tell you, I've got one more big promise for you. You guys win. I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer. Now, does that sound like he's upset with them? No. He knows we're going to fail. He knows all of us are going to fail at some point. So here's the thing. He made promises to them and to us today that still will be firm and reliable. And he promises them, not because of them, but because of his character, and he never lies. Like the disciples, regardless of our spiritual performance, our imperfections, our failings, our fleeing of the Savior, I want you to know something. Jesus will never leave or forsake us. You see, when Jesus was on the cross, suffering as a guilt offering for my sin, for your sin, it says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. At that time, even God the Father had to turn away and turn his back to his beloved Son. At that time, Jesus knew what it meant to be utterly alone. He is the only person in history that will know what it's like to be utterly alone. He's, in fact, I believe... If I read the scriptures right, you can maybe read it differently, but the way I read it is, I don't hear of any cries out of Jesus' mouth throughout his whole trial, beatings, uh, torture, even when they nailed him to the cross. I don't read about how he screamed. When did he scream? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That wound was deeper than any wound he'd ever received in eternity. That was it. 
Why would he agree with his father to go through such pain? For you. For me. To grant us that access. To make sure that he could make a promise from us. And he says that, by the way, because of that sacrifice, no believer of mine, none of you here, no matter how you wash out, fail, screw up, None of you will ever experience being totally alone and forsaken by God. Because I won't let it happen. You get it? Your, your loneliness will be self-imposed. God has never left you. Never. Jesus paid a price to make sure that was so. In fact, in Hebrews 13, he says, I will never leave you or desert you. I will never forsake you. Never. Never. Do you think he wants us to know he will never do that? Yes. Yeah. Would we fail one another? In a heartbeat. Will he? Never. See, if you put your faith in uh, Lord Jesus Christ, you can't even get alone if you want to be. And sometimes I think we want to sin in secret, but it doesn't happen. You can't do it. The psalmist put it this way. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the grave, you're there. If I say, surely darkness will overwhelm me and hide me, and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as day. Darkness and night and light are the light to you. Where are you going to hide? You can't get away if you want to. And we shouldn't want to. But sometimes our hearts will lie to us. Sometimes we'll run away from the very help we need. But guess what? He's right with us. As soon as you come to your senses, He's right with you. Listening to your cry for help. Well, there's no location, no circumstance, no betrayal, no darkness, no personal failure that will ever separate us from the comfort and aid of my Heavenly Father. Amen. When you're home alone or in the middle of a church Sunday morning, do you still feel lonely and alone? Like no one cares? Our pastor told me a, a line and I had to write it down because obviously he has these gems that come out once in a while. <laughs> once in a while. Um, it says, there's nothing that a lonely person needs more than access to someone who cares. See, I think we just read, Jesus has guaranteed every saint here access to the most caring, comforting person in the universe, God the Father. And as a result, we don't have just someone who cares, but the one who loves us more than we love ourselves, the one who gave his only son to demonstrate that love, the one that will treat us like a loving father, the one who has every resource we could ever want, the one who is available to all of our needs, the one who would promise to never leave or forsake us. What do we need if we're not happy with that? Nothing will make you happy. Well, are you spending time with that someone? Are you hearing God talk to you through his word? Are you listening to him in conversations of prayer? I think God is saying that he keeps telling me, Tim, the only reason you don't have that peace, the only reason you don't have that thing is you're not asking for it. You're not talking to me. You're not trying to understand where we're at here. 
I'm ready to listen. I'm ready to help. Are you talking? Are you listening? Well, I think he's a faithful high priest too. And as a faithful high priest, he now has the unique ability to go to the Father. Whenever you are preaching, or you are talking to the Father, you're praying, and you're, all you can mumble out is, Help! That's the best you might be able to do. Help! And Jesus says, Father, Father, I too have been betrayed. I too have been wounded. I too have been left alone and forsaken. In fact, you remember... You and I were separated for a period because we agreed that was part of the plan to rescue sinners. And I willingly did that. But Father, because I've lived in a body like them, I know exactly what they need right now. That help, I can translate for you, Father. I can put that into words that can give them the help that they need right now. So you don't have to be eloquent to God because we have a sympathetic high priest who can translate our wounds and our heart aches into words. What a treat. What a privilege. Because the Son of God, the sinless Son of God, has experienced our same pains. And it says that we now have a merciful and faithful high priest. Amen. Well, I just want to move on. On your worst day, on your most stressful day, on your loneliest day, as a follower of Christ, please remember, please, God loves you. God will never leave you or abandon you. He will not leave you alone. You are not alone no matter how you feel. He said that not even death will separate you. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death will not even separate you from God. He says that I, when we die, I don't think we see death. We will no longer see death. We, go, we pass go. We directly go to Jesus. Death will not separate us. So when that enemy called loneliness steals in and tries to steal your peace away and you feel that no one cares, please stop and remember. I need to stop and remember. Christ our Lord has purchased me not only an access to a father, but a loving Father who cares for me and who will never, ever, 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 ever leave me. You will never be alone. The third enemy of our peace is really thinking adversity or storms will destroy our peace. I think verse 33 reveals the power of the peace that Jesus is offering. In fact, that it demonstrates that while he is facing the cross, in the shadow of the cross, he's the most peaceful guy in the room. And he says, how can an average guy be at peace like that? He doesn't expect his peace to do that for me, does he? If I'm facing, I'm on death row, and I'm an hour and a half away from execution, he wants me to be that peaceful? Yes. 
You say, it's not possible. Oh, yes, it is, because this is a divine peace. This isn't an earthly peace. And see, there's an interesting... He, we could think, well, he doesn't know how big my trials are. Mine are bigger than his was. Really? You're not going to say that out loud, I'm sure. But let's take a few, uh, look at a few reasons why I believe the Scripture teaches us that the peace we have in Jesus is sufficient for any storm or adversity. I believe God would have us understand that our earthly trials, even though painful, heavy, are just no match to God's infinite peace. It's not even a fair competition. We shouldn't even compare them. In fact, what did we say? I, I don't believe that these earthly trials should be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. When we get to heaven, we'll see the comparison differently than we see it now, for sure. But the first reason of God's peace is sufficient is because of the quality in the source. Jesus tells us that the source is him, it's Jesus, and there's no other source in the world. Um, every other peace is a false peace, is a temporary peace, is a fleeting peace. Jesus says he's described in Isaiah 9-6 as the Prince of Peace. Do you know who controls every amount of peace in this universe? The Prince of Peace. He's in charge of the universe's peace. If you don't have peace, you need to go see the person in charge. If you don't know peace, you need to know Jesus. He has all the access to the peace market. He's got it all. Well, another thing it says, that it's his personal peace. And we just read this in John 14. Peace I live, leave with you. My peace I give to you. So if you weren't comfortable just getting some peace out of Jesus' peace market, he says, I'm going to give you the peace that actually carried me. You have my peace. Now, what's our excuse now? Well, it could carry Jesus, it can't carry me. Uh, I, I'm not going to say that to you, Lord. Um, but peace is not limited by our circumstances, not limited by our emotions, but it's based on the divine peace that is personally possessed by God himself. Now, the other thing I have to say, secondly, the peace that God provides is benefited because God is omniscient. God sees the end from the beginning. It's a lot easier to know. I mean, have you ever watched a movie and you, is the good guy going to die? Oh. But once you know the good guy makes it, ah, I can watch this movie with a lot more hope. Yeah. Right? I mean, what is that? We, we benefit by seeing the end of the story. God's at the end of our story. And how could he endure the cross, the torture, the suffering? Why would that even appeal to him? Well, it tells us in Hebrews 12. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. What? He says, I see the end of the story, and it's going to be worth it. And that's interesting, because if we had the end of our story, we might have a different perspective about our peace. God does. And he knows, and he's in charge of every trial and every woe that actually enters your life. Do you know how to give permission for that? God. There's nothing in your life right now that God has not permitted. Even when you go out and you personally mess it up. 
He could have bashed you in the head with a board and said, don't do that. But he let you. Why? Because he knows that that's going to be better for you at the end of your story. It's going to allow you to have a better ending to your story. That's why Jesus tells his disciples, why could he tell them, hey, I just told you you're going to be hated, you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be killed, but hey, be of good courage. But without the last statement, I've overcome the world, that is almost like a hurtful thing to say. Buck up. You'll make it. What kind of comforting words are those? But he says, I have overcome the world. I have seen the end of the story. And no matter how alone you feel, no matter how lopsided the victory seems to be in favor of the enemy, no matter what the score is late in the fourth quarter, you win. Because I have won. I have won. Okay, well now what's the seat? He's telling you personally. He's telling me, Tim, 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 Tim. Hang with me, because the end of your story is going to be good. You're going to be glad you toughed it out. You're going to be glad you hung in there. You're going to be glad you let me have peace during the storm. You weren't, you weren't copping out. You weren't trying to ignore the facts. You weren't trying to just pretend nothing's really wrong. You acknowledged everything that was wrong, but you knew that the victory at the end was going to be worth it. And he says, I see the end of your story. See, the worst thing the world can do is promote you to heaven faster. Amen. They can't take away your joy. They can't take away your peace. They can't take away your purpose. They can't take away your family's uh, long-term relationships if they know Jesus. They can't take away anything from you that's worth anything. Because in the long run, or even our lives are not worth anything. It says, for me, what did Paul say? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I don't think a lot of us appreciate that. I didn't. I don't want to die. Lord, I'm, I'm not asking to die. But if he knows that my death is going to make thousands more know him, I might, I might be tempted. Right? I could, I could understand the purpose. Well, I don't have time to tell a story, but you have to know that one of the greatest songs ever written was written by a man named Horatio Spafford. Do you think this piece actually works in life? Yes, it does. He was on a steamship following where his wife and daughters had been on a previous steamship that had sunk in 10 minutes. Four of his daughters died in the, in the sinking of the ship. When he got to the spot, that the ship went down. The captain told him where it was. He looked at the dark water, at his graves of his daughters, and he wrote a song. It is well with my soul when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot you have taught me to say, not it feels good, it is well, it is well with my soul. So Jesus wants you to know, whatever the trial, the pain, the tribulation, this powerful peace is yours. Claim it. Trust it. Trust God's end to your story. I want to share one thing in closing. It's been on my heart. So allow a pastor to share some things here. See, I believe the battle for peace in the midst of our loneliness and separation and trial is very real for us. We're in it. Our family, the flock right here at Valley Bible Church, 
like many other churches in the United States, maybe around the world, has been through many trials this past two years. And I know that Satan would greatly desire to use all these things to take away our hope, to rob us of our joy, to eliminate our unity, to take away our hope and prevent us from gathering and loving one another and worshiping our God together as God desire we would. Over these years, I know that death has taken away some of our precious loved ones and friends and we still feel the loss. We have been scattered by the COVID pandemic and the fear that this disease inspires and we are struggling with the restrictions that the pandemic still leaves upon us. Political ideologies have further caused us to fear and have divisions. Some may even have been tested through changes in leadership around here. All of these things and the resultant scattering that they produce weakens the flock and has left this body of Christ less present and less able to encourage and love and care for one another. And that creates a further sense of disconnectedness and loneliness. As a result, I, I, I'm telling you, I have a deep and abiding uh, and com great compassion for our hurting and lonely and dispersed flock. See, we might realize these things. In Christ, we have access to all the resources we need. Meeting daily with God in prayer and taking advantage. We can make it through any trial because we know we are never alone. God will always be with us. He gives us supernatural peace, even in our alone times. And God knows what we're going through and how your story ends right now. No matter how deep and dark the trial, he says, I can give you peace right now because I see the end of your story. If you trust me, you'll, you'll really enjoy how this comes out. Amen. You see, we win. So whatever you've been through this past two years, or whatever you're going through right now, I have a great desire that each of us would possess God's wonderful, supernatural peace. And my prayer for us today is that God would encourage and strengthen and comfort each of us, the afflicted and the lonely, and restore our peace. May He continue to bring us back so we can fully be together in love and fellowship and worship in unity as we all take these promises and live in joy and in peace and in harmony together. I miss you guys. I miss you guys. I miss you that are not here. I pray that God's peace will be yours today. Heavenly Father, we need your help. We're a scattered people for lots of different reasons. We're a lonely people. We're a hurting people. We're a people that sometimes don't think that anybody cares. Let us never, ever discount the care and the love that you offer from God the Father that Jesus gave his life to purchase access to. Father, if there's anybody here that doesn't have any of this hope, oh, Father, would they come to put faith in Jesus Christ, your Son, the one who came from heaven, the very God-man who came 
took our sins on him, died on a cross, was buried in a grave. Three days later, he rose from the grave. He sits on the throne in heaven, Father, and he lives ever to intercede for those who will run to him. Father, may we run to you today so that each person that leaves today might be encouraged knowing you're never alone. You can have joy in the midst of trial and every resource you've ever needed is just a prayer away. May we live in faith and in love today through Jesus our Lord. Amen.